Okay. Welcome back to Game Cool Books. This is episode three, and I'm joined today by Sparrow Alden. Hi, Sparrow. Hello. Hey, so um, I met you through Signum University, uh, I guess a couple of years ago now, became aware of all the things that you do there. Um, Sparrow is the Hestia of the Hearth, for one thing, um, which means that you sort of organize and promote discussion on their forums. Yes, and that includes uh, folks who come in through Mythgard, folks who come in through the MA program. It's sort of the student lounge. We, yeah. you know, there's the what are you reading now thread, and there's the there's commiseration, and there's are you into creative writing? Let's let's do some peer workshopping until we've got a creative writing program thread. Who's up for NaNoWriMo? It's a lot of fun. Yeah, and. Um, that's coming right up. So that would be really cool to get involved with if you're a creative writer sort of uh, thinking about trying NaNoWriMo. Uh, I've tried it a few times. I can't say I've been super successful, but it is a lot of fun. Uh, and you do get some good writing out, uh, whether you finish your project or not. Absolutely. And that's N-A-N-O-W-R-I-M-O.org for any of your people who want to look it up. Yeah. Yeah. And um, one other thing that we worked on together was this past summer, Signum Academy. And you taught the Wrinkle in Time, Time Camp. I had so much fun. Am I right that you did The Hobbit? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. oh, my probably first passion as I, as I narrow down what I'm going to focus my love on, probably my first passion is children and tween books yeah. and Wrinkle in Time was so formative for me that I had a ball creating activities and questions and discussions with the kids who participated and I, I hope your listeners have heard about um, heard about the camps but what mm -hmm. we do is we record some discussions with some live kids and families who can't join us live can download it and do the activities anytime they want uh, anywhere from five to ten little sessions about just one book for the kids to really say, wow, this is so much better than writing a book report. This is what real literary scholars do. Like they, like they make these connections and they dig into these words and they build pillow forts so that they can fly to the moon, which I know I do. So... That's how we should all read uh, when we get the chance. And the summer is a great time to do that, you know. But I think the plan is now for Signum Academy to be sort of an ongoing thing, if I understand correctly, not just the summers, right? That's what I understand. Um, folks, the, the ones that you and I recorded and a couple of our colleagues over the summer, those will be available. These are totally for free right. to families, to homeschool groups, to libraries, to kids clubs. Um, they can download the activities and the discussions anytime. And those of us who love children's books, you and I and our buddies, can make them at any time through the year when we have, ooh, a break between deadlines. Yeah. And I'm thinking my next project, wish me luck, I want to do the early Nancy Drew books. Because 
who doesn't want to wear a pencil skirt and get a hand lens and go out and solve crimes in their neighborhood, right? Totally. Everywhere. Like, I hope to have all the eight-year-old kids for a a 3,000-mile radius tapping on walls to look for secret partitions and stuff. (laughs) That sounds like a very cool project. And um, I think that sort of makes a fine uh, segue into our topic today, which is talking about The Golden Compass by Philip Pullman. Um, In this series, I so far have only uh, read and discussed a little bit about chapters one and two. And I wanted to take a break every couple of chapters to talk to somebody who has read the book, who has written on or studied things related to um, this kind of literature, which I know you certainly have. And the focus so far in the book, I guess, is sort of on Lyra and Pantalaimon, her demon companion. Um, And I just think that any discussion of the book sort of comes back to and starts from that relationship. And so I wanted to ask you a little bit about um, what what your thoughts were. Um, I know you haven't read it super recently, maybe, but what... uh, what struck you about the the demon and um, human relationship here? What uh, probably you and your your friends who are listening should know that the other half of my life, when I'm not in academia, I'm a pastor. Oh, far out! Right. So I am getting so into this this part of your soul is connected and I'm all young mask and shadow side or no, but Pantalaimon's a smart ass, but fluid. How much do we love putting the notion in kids' heads that there is fluidity? You are not locked into a track. You have so much potential and excitement ahead of you and you're, demon shows you that nothing is settled down even if lyra clearly is talking to pantalaimon like a separate outside character she knows that they're absolutely integrated and we readers from the outside or at least i this is me through my filters know that pantalaimon it's like I will, I will protect my heart. I will protect my soul yeah. by putting it outside my body. And, and however that first magic happened was, it, what an s- amazing concept. And the fact that Pantalaimon gives her sass, yeah. I love it because you know, in our world, anyone would be talking to themselves, right? So Pullman's got a world, and it's not much different from this one. You know, map, Oxford lies on Oxford. Mm-hmm. But there's this, uh, I had the best time in, in, a, in a portal fantasy. You know, you go through the wall at the Leaky Cauldron. You mm-hmm. go through the wardrobe into Narnia. You know it is a either a completely different world or, in the case of Harry Potter, parallel world. 
like that that acknowledges each other with a little like semi-permeable membrane going on mm -hmm. but but Pullman doesn't have that there's only the secondary world of his creation and it looks like ours how much freaking fun is that yeah it delighted me that this wild kid is running around actually she's got so much freedom do you love that i yeah that's as a kid that really pulled me in um much more so than the theological you know stuff going on with demons it was the idea that you have this companion who you can talk to who has thoughts which are sort of yours but not quite um and that you yeah you get to run freely over the rooftops uh with this companion of yours as a bird uh shrieking and um messing up the classes that the scholars are trying to have down in the uh down in the classrooms and whatnot um, how I, absolutely fun right she's this wild kid and yeah. you know cared for yet got such a degree of autonomy yeah. and a girl character thank you philip pullman for right. making this slightly feral Oxford kid yeah. a girl so that we've got another great strong female role model who's how old is she at the very beginning? Well, uh, early um, teens or just 11 or 12 something. Yeah, 12, 13 was what was what seemed right to me. Yeah. But how fun. So when when you're looking at the dialogue between the two. Mm -hmm. Do you, is Lyra dishing it back? Yeah, she's she tells him pretty early on, right? Like, stop scolding, stop being such a nag. Like, I knew you would do this if, but at the same time, like, she seems to say that because everything he says is right on. You know, um, he's he's more observant than her in most ways, right? Like, in, early in the book, he's in the form of a mother, excuse me, and he. He sort of creeps ahead and looks around corners and things, um, and that strikes me as sort of symbolic, right? Like that part of you that that looks a little bit further and um, is a little wary of what's going on, and so he, for all that, um, doesn't successfully stop her from her plan to sneak into that um, that lounge, you know, that that special secret lounge, the retiring room, and uh, hide in there to see what the scholars get up to um, when no one's looking. And I love that she's got in her head, the scholars must get up to something when no one's looking. And did you, did you also in your heart just kind of hope that she found the inklings? Right. It's that connection is pretty, um, again, it's sort of like a teasing, uh, hinting, like she hides in a wardrobe, right? Right. She, she, oh my cow. She pulls the, uh, the, uh, the master's uh, special robes down to make a little nest for herself. And the wardrobe is bigger than she thought, right? She can sort of spread out in it. So there's this little kind of dig at, um, at C.S. Lewis there. Pullman is pretty famous for saying stuff in interviews that's like borderline mean about the Inklings. He, oh, he's, really? Okay. He's famously not a big fan of the Narnia books and um, very dismissive of Tolkien. Um, but he never, I mean, I don't think that he really engages with it. It's more of a kind of provocative barb to okay. get stirred up, is my sense of it, at least. Yep. Um, but yeah, the Inklings, uh, that whole tradition, and, and Lewis Carroll, right? Um, right. 
land books. That whole tradition is very much creating the space in which Pullman steps in and creates this awesome epic storyline. Um, and I think it's, in some ways, his books, I think, also paved the way for Rowling's books, uh, the, the Harry Potter series. Are you seeing there's the, I want to know what connection you're seeing because I see there's sort of the British school days thing in Harry Potter mm -hmm. and there she is in a school turning the conventions upside down. Yeah. I Tell me more about it, what you're seeing. Yeah. I find it like a, an interesting setting to think about um, as this, this imaginary college, right? Um, where the greatest scholars, according to Lyra, these are the best scholars in the world. And who would know better than her, right? Um, and yet she uh, uh, mostly spends her time running around with the kitchen boy, who's her friend, Roger, right? And getting into things and messing up classes. And so that's an interesting, yeah, kind of way to represent an ideal education, an imaginary education, where you have all the resources at your disposal. And if you're interested in them, you can go and talk to the scholars about whatever interesting subject. And some things they say are interesting to her, right? She does seem to get intrigued, especially when her, her uncle, uncle Asriel comes and talks about dust and the Northern Lights. That, that fires her imagination. But if she's not interested, then she has the freedom to go and run about and get her friends together and gang up and play war. And that in itself is an incredible education, right? Like she is the most socially adept little, um, you know, bossy little kid. Uh, and that serves her really well. I was going to say that kind of strength. The, I don't know if I would call it social intelligence because she's still kind of sharp edged, mm. but what 12 or 13 year old isn't. Um, but the social intelligence and experience and leadership that, she's been feeding on and the explorer vibe yeah right and how much was that deliberate you know let her explore stuff she's gonna need that yeah um and all of that turns out to be so important to her success later wow it's she's also so in some ways she's like harry potter she's a uh, an orphan um or seems to be a kind of foundling uh, character and that's again like a big fairy tale motif as well right the the child whose parents are gone missing um, in some way legendary and so she has to sort of form her own character from the things around her um, unlike Harry Potter that isn't real central to the story at, right at the start yeah. you know instead the emphasis is all about this this expedition that she's on to sneak in to this place she's not supposed to be um, she's very sort of self-possessed um, and, and lords it over her friends. You know, she's got a lot of friends, apparently. So she's very different in other ways. Um, and the arc of the story as well, you know, it's not, as, it's not structured by those year-to-year -year benchmarks, but right. it, it, there is a definite trend towards gaining knowledge, um, not through classes and through um, uh, fixed uh, curriculum, of course, but through, right. but through experience, through, through her adventure. Absolutely. And have you in your podcast gotten as far as the device? No, no, no. Uh, okay. we, we just okay. left off. We've heard about the alethiometer from the master okay. talking to the librarian. That's the first we hear about. He has something that tells him, it seems like it tells him the future because he knows what's going to happen. 
Um, we'll we'll find out more about that shortly here. Uh, chapter four is about is about the alethiometer. So and how much her curiosity is awakened by this. And we yeah. see in the early chapters she's got plenty of curiosity. If yeah. if I met this kid today, you know, running around in middle school, I'll go, oh, future scientist. Exactly. Someone, yeah, someone give this kid a grant and maybe a few safety goggles <laughs> and step back. But then with this mystery she uncovers, she's on fire. She is passionate. And can I go back to what a great role model she is because it's easy to be a kid who's full of self-doubt. Yes. It's a, it's a culture, and maybe I'm sort of wandering over to my pastoral side, but we live in a culture where it's advertisers spending millions to tell tweens, 10 years old, 11 years old, they're not good enough until they look right, smell right, give up their power and franchise and treasure to conform to what the marketing world is. And in the world of the Golden Compass, Lyra is completely unaffected by that. Yeah, she and is free of I don't, that. Yeah. yeah, I don't see a lot of media influence in her role, which is great. And then, you know, picture an 11-year-old girl reading this going, yeah, running on roofs. Why am I not running on roofs? I can do that. Here's a, a kid who's saying I can do anything. I want to follow that instead of instead of some of the negative cultural messages. And of course, no one says that consciously. But yeah. the more examples we can put in front of kids who are moving into such a difficult time of life, the more we can say, don't have to be afraid. You know, yeah. you're strong. You've got gifts. I think her, Lyra discovering her gift when she starts getting deeply into this mystery. How cool. And I think, I think you were touching, I'm talking too much. I'm sorry. Go for it. I, but you were starting to touch on some of the elements of the, the typical hero's journey, hmm. like special parents, but kind of an orphanage, weird childhood. Um, and the child herself has a special gift. Is it, she's not necessarily the chosen one, but, but is she? How does she have this gift? Is this genetics? Is this someone rolled dice? What did the adults around her hope and set up ahead of time? Yeah. Who's predicting the future? How much control? But. Lyra has autonomy and control. I don't think at any point she's thinking, I have to do this because someone else told me to. Exactly. It's, it's even stronger than that. It's, the master says she can't know about her destiny. She must, in order for it to, to come out the way it you know, is foretold, that, that has to be done by her without knowledge of what she's doing. And, and that's very complicated, right? Because... In some sense, usually we think of prophecies as like self-fulfilling, right? right? If you have that vision, then you take the steps to make it so. And, and in a way, uh, it turns out Lyra does sort of overhear enough that she pieces together that she has a sense. She has her own imagination yes. of what it is she's supposed to be doing. 
and yet there's enough room for kind of wonder and curiosity um, that it couldn't be said that she's like following um, strictly any particular um, set of of steps, right? right? And so she is she is free to just explore and just follow the 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 hints that she gets, right? Um, is is she supposed to help her uncle Azriel escape? Is she supposed to rescue Roger? She seems pretty set on trying to do that um, yeah. once he's he's been kidnapped. And to your right. point about the conformity thing, it's true there aren't powerful commercial interests. It seems like in Lyra's world, that that space is is wholly dominated by the magisterium, the yes. church, the church yes. body, which has taken over. Um, since you know hundreds of years ago and and sort of put its feelers into every aspect of life and they're the ones who are behind the child stealing turns out exactly and how much do we love that oh the etymology of the word goblin is explained mm -hmm. and that that crosses over into our vocabulary oh wait and there's another reminder that this world looks so much like our world. Mm -hmm. And then later in the book, worlds looking like the world you're, we're just in is a thing. And it, and it makes me go, wait a minute. Am, is it a different world? Okay. You've got to read I, the next book because the next book opens in our world. Oh, boy. That's, that's where book two oh, opens. Boy. So you mentioned when I asked for people who are interested in talking, you were one of the first to respond. And you said something interesting that um, you, you'd read the first book and it pulled you in lots of different directions and, um, and you haven't yet read the next one. And he's since come out with a fourth one, you know, a prequel. So he's oh, holy tomatoes. got some stuff for you. So, okay. so what, what was it that pulled you and that made you sort of unsure about going on in the series to see what, what happens? Without too many spoilers for your buddies, um, as a children's book, mm. it's got fabulous elements. It's got, it's got, you know, tar it's got animals. It's got exploration. It's got this strong and sassy, but still not, not spoiled. Um, and not arrogant, well, enough arrogant to be strong and sassy character. <laughs> it's got friendship. It's got loyalty. It's, developmentally fantastic and one of the things that um in in my academic life i also teach children's lit at my local community college and Very some cool. of the children's literature i'm a preceptor for some of the children's literature courses the harry potter course and the celtic lit in children's fantasy course at signum yeah. so both courses very fun and my at, in my pastoral work i am a children's pastor so that's why i'm focusing there and how do you draw the line between children's literature and adult literature everyone's telling me oh harry potter's for kids hello can these please be my favorite books forever maybe i'm a 54 year old kid which i'm good with <laughs> but one of the distinguishing features of children's lit is we don't give them stuff that's gross mm. right 
we can talk, we can address death, we can address divorce, we can address mental illness in amazing ways. Oh, cough coming up, hold on. There we go. In amazing ways in children's books for really good reasons and kids can practice working with these concepts before they're in real life and they in the easy world of a book where it's just exactly. you know, black letters on page. So we don't have gory violence. There can even be violence, but it's not gory and explicit. And we don't have explicit sexuality. And some of the tween novels, we mm-hmm. have implied sexuality but never explicit, that would make it not a children's book. Right. So the relationship between children and their demons as the plot progresses, the thing that happens smacked me like a hard right cross across the jaw. Mm-hmm. It was because because I'm set up not to expect violence in children's lit and it's not technically violence, but there is a spiritually terrifying thing that happens. And, and some people will read along and go, Oh, wow. That's, that was interesting. Yeah. Now we're in trouble. And I, my breath was taken away and I was terrified because that's a lot of how I look at the world. If you're going to put your soul outside yourself, that can protect it from being found, Mm -hmm. but it can endanger it Mm -hmm. by being outside your armor. So the, the potential for really Spiritual badness, yes, psychic badness has kept me from reading book two. Oh no, it's it right. does get pretty, it gets pretty intense at parts there. Okay, um, but I, I stress, I think I would stress that the like I said before with his um, his sort of provocative things that he says in interviews about disliking books that other people really love and are passionate about, you know, and along with that, his very controversial statements about theological matters, right? And um, being very anti-religion. All of that, all of that is balanced or compensated for in the books by this, this beautiful story of, of Lyra and her demon, right? Of their development. And, and it's such a strong model for me as a kid reading these books. These were my favorite books. And, um, it wasn't because of the the violence and you know any of that sort of crazy stuff that happens, which is really intense and really gripping, um, but sort of off-putting. Um, all of that was, for me at least, wrapped in with um, seeing how Lyra was able to deal with it through her her relationship with her demon, their friendship, and her other friendships. Um, in the second book, this character is introduced from our world. And he becomes one of the main protagonists. And that ends up sort of tipping the scales, right? So now Lyra's not alone in another way. She has this other person who's very knowledgeable and able to sort of help her, very tough. Um, but the first thing that she finds out about him is that he's a murderer. He's a, he's a killer. Um, he has killed someone. And, and that makes her trust him. 
which is a really interesting dynamic, right? Um, so anyway, but I hope that's intriguing. I hope that's helpful to sort of allay your 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 worries a little bit. Like for all that there are some gruesome and spiritually uh, horrific things that take place, there's also this incredibly affirming uh, story of of characters growing up, right, and sort of dealing with any amount of of, of evil that's out there. So. That is wonderful to hear. And I do know that as a kid and, and tween and teen, I read and loved and absorbed and understood holistically stuff that now I go back to and go, ah, yeah. how could I possibly have read that? I cannot, I cannot let my 20-year-old child read them. <laughs> right? Like, whatever he wants. Um, but maybe now I am sense I'm carrying more baggage. That's a really good point. The I way think that you now read I am really carrying changes. more baggage. Yep. Yeah. And so, so I am encouraged to good, try the subtle knife. I think it would be really cool, I think, to um to talk again when you get a chance to read it and see, okay. see what it's like. Um I really appreciate you taking the time to um to talk with me today and being, you know, willing to be the first uh, guest, the first experiment here in this in this podcast. Um, it, I think it's been really, really helpful for me to to get to talk to you and hear from you. Um, I love I, sharing good books, right? Yeah. That's, it's oh, can I show you what my next book is that I'm that is hot on the shelves? I just yes. got it. Okay, because I need to recommend books to people. Hold up. Where is it? Oh, if I move it, the whole pile will fall down. Sorry. Um, Kate Serity, The White Stag. Haven't heard of it. It's, it's oldish. It's uh, 1930s-ish. Hmm. And it's a children's book that brings in some ancient legendary stuff. That's what I love. That's what grabbed me about The Golden Compass is clearly there's connections to history and magic in it. it you're part of something continuous by you yeah. i mean lyra. lyra but wow thank you for having me chat with you about books i had a lot of fun great well uh i hope that people will check out signum and mythgard all of the free material that's out there and some of the material that is worth the money right some of these classes that are offered they are really 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 worth it uh, language and literature and if they're families with kids mm -hmm. or a children's librarian, they should check out Signum Academy, which oh, is on the signumuniversity.org website for the great free stuff that we're putting up because we want everyone to love books as much as we do. Yeah, and that's what it's about, right? Like giving people the opportunity. And if they prefer to you know, run around outside instead of reading, that's okay. At some point, it'll be there for them uh, to, to enrich, right? And, and help them understand their own experience more. Yeah. Spectacular. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks again. Have a good one. Bye. So there is the first conversation. Thanks again, Sparrow. And in place of recess on these, I'm going to release news and updates relevant to the project and the imaginary video game adaptation in particular. So for today, I did have a 
another conversation lined up so far with Verlin Flieger, renowned Tolkien scholar, also affiliated with Signum University. I'll be talking to her in the next few days and releasing that in a couple of weeks after podcast episodes on chapters 3 and 4 of The Golden Compass. I'll continue to update the uh, course page, if you like, on my blog where you can see the readings that go with each week's episode. Um, in addition to talking to Sparrow today, um, I also heard from my friend Pat Ward, who had some really kind things to say about the Earthbound series. And I'm going to put that up here in a second. I also wanted to announce that I'll be releasing uh, weekly transcripts, um, essays, uh, based on that Earthbound series. Those will be posted at thewellreadmage.com. It's a website for video game journalism uh, that I got in touch with. And yeah, they've, they've agreed to release... Um, weekly serialization of the uh, the transcript, essentially, or, or essays from the Earthbound series. So you can check those out at thewellreadmage.com. Uh, red, spelled like the color. Anyhow, um, along with Pat's recording here, I'm also going to include a few musical themes that I've been working on, uh, and I've recorded them. Uh, Myself playing the piano, uh, some percussion, and in, a f in one case, I think the guitar so far. Um, kind of chipping away at these. And I've also got uh, my friend Brian Brock has agreed to let us use some of his music on the imaginary video game. Um, that can be found at his website, brianbrock.com, and uh, under the particularly the Wall-Eyed Snatcher, uh, which you can find if you go to his website and uh, search around a little bit. Um, it will be uh, pieces of his that he'll adapt uh, for the inclusion in the game. Um, it's really kind of him to, uh, to share those, and I hope you guys will check those out. Um, like I said, I don't, I don't have that audio downloaded here, um, but you can find it on his website, brianbrock.com. Now, what follows here is Pat's uh, comments and then some musical themes in order. They're going to be the Northern Lights theme, then Jordan College, Lyra and her Demon, Lord Asriel's theme, a trepanning interlude, and finally, the dust theme. So, hope you enjoy. Thanks again for listening. Hey Wes, this is Pat Ward, uh, calling with some feedback on your bookworm games. I just listened to episode, I think it was 15, the one right before Alex Schmidt. I'm getting ready to listen to that, I'm pretty excited about it. But you had mentioned something in, in one of your episodes, and I think more than one, about how it's possible that you're you know, just kind of going on and on and, and your illusions and your collections of different things may not really, maybe kind of a, a more of a figment of your own imagination than actual reality. 
you know, the, the thought that maybe you're making it all up and, like, the, the intent wasn't there by the game creator or, or whatever. But I think it's great what you're doing, and I think you're bringing a lot of cool things together, and I'd, I'm interested to hear more about what, you know, what you see and experience when you play EarthBound, even though I've never done it. But it's great, man. Keep it up.